small wins on the golf course really help you to build the confidence to say, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. I did it. Great. Move on. Next one. And welcome back to another Par Train. This is your host, Devin Singer. Guys, this episode is a good one. You're going to love it. Uh, if you're not following us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, please do at the Par Train. Subscribe and rate and review this podcast. It really helps us out. So if you haven't done that, you've been listening for a while, we'd really appreciate it. Uh, this episode was a different take on uh, the mental game. And I know you guys love the mental game. It's some of our most popular episodes. Um, but instead of Matt and I simply discussing our learnings or, you know, having sports psychologists on and coaches, we thought it would actually be really interesting to have one of you on. Uh, so we actually invited for this first one, think of it as like a little uh, mental game roundtable. We had one of our good friends, Brandon Pevnik, on the show who uh, has listened to our other episodes and is working on the mental game himself. Um, but he's just like you and me. I think he uh, he's I think he's like a ten or twelve handicap. I forget what he said, uh, but he's he's a good player, right? And he's got his demons just like me and you do, whether it's off the tee or around the greens. And uh, I thought this was a really interesting time because he's got a member guest at Pinehurst in a couple weeks, and we really wanted to dive into his story. We wanted to understand where does he struggle. Where could he be thinking about things differently? It was one of my favorite conversations about the mental game because it's personal, it's real, it's authentic. And I think a lot of you guys will benefit from hearing his story because I believe that you will see yourself in a lot of what he says. Um, so make sure to listen to the end. I guarantee you, you'll hear something that potentially will really help your game, whether it's course management or mental or even within the swing. Okay, so before we get to that episode, we got something uh, pretty special here and pretty unique uh, before we get to our conversation. Um, we're actually going to bring you a special preview of a new documentary podcast about Tiger Woods. It's called All American. Okay, it just launched a few days ago on August 20th. And the podcast is all about exploring the journey of iconic sports stars to find out what their story says about America. Um, which is actually an interesting kind of take to think about everything going on in our country right now uh, to use sports stars as a way to look at, you know, our culture. It, it's interesting. And, and who better to start with than Tiger, right? We all know Tiger Woods. I don't need to talk about Tiger. We've talked about him enough on this podcast. Um, there's no one like him. I think we've all heard his story, but I think there's a lot more that I think all of us want to know about Tiger, right? Despite all the media coverage about him, we haven't really been able to get to know him uh, on a deeper level. And All-American will reflect on his rise to greatness, his iconic status, what it means in our culture in America, and, and how we define sports heroes. And so I think this podcast is, I'm definitely going to be tuning in. Um, if you like golf like me, you definitely don't want to miss out. And so what I'm going to do is we got an exclusive preview of the first few minutes of All-American Tiger Woods that I'm gonna play right now. And then we'll go into our regularly scheduled programming um, with our mental game episode. And if you like what you hear, go subscribe to All American Tiger Woods on Apple, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again, guys, for tuning in. We appreciate it, it means a lot to us. And um, hit them straight out there. And you know what, even if you don't hit them straight, have fun. 
and, and enjoy your time. I uh, hope you're staying safe and well. And we'll see you guys next week. Take care. What has been the most difficult adjusting? For me, the lack of privacy, the mm-hmm. loss of privacy. Mm-hmm. And Oh, uh, it's gone. I know. If you were sitting down to watch this Oprah interview in April of 1997, you probably already knew who Tiger Woods was. That's because earlier that month, Tiger won the Masters, a super iconic golf tournament. He was the youngest golfer ever to win it and the first black American golfer to do so. After he won, the media went wild. Tiger was everywhere. He was on CNN. All the cheering for you. I think it's kind of crazy because I'm not- Interviewed during the NBA halftime show. Tiger Woods, he is standing by live with Ahmad Rashad. And of course, like any huge star in the 90s, he did a sit down with Oprah. That's tough because, and also a lot of the bad articles that are written, mm-hmm. is that I didn't do anything to them personally. Mm-hmm. So why write something bad about me when you don't know me? Mm-hmm. And that's not fair. And unfortunately, a lot of people like to take that angle mm-hmm. just because of uh, their own, I guess, selfishness. Well, you know what, what happens, and do you think this too, Mr. Woods, I mean, I, I, that especially when you see an article like the GQ article that labels you the messiah, you can't be labeled the messiah without somebody then trying, the messiah of, of sports or golf, without then somebody then trying to come along to show how you're not the messiah. Exactly. So I think that's the way the media sets you up. I'm Jordan Bell. I'm a senior producer at Stitcher now, but I was only six years old when this interview aired. Plus, I wasn't reading GQ at the time, so I didn't know much about what Oprah was talking about here, this media scrutiny Tiger faced, until I met Albert Chen. He's a longtime journalist and now my co-pilot for this series. Hey, Albert. Hey, Jordan. So we first met in December of 2019, while you were still working at Sports Illustrated, And you'd been at SI for the better part of two decades, working as an editor and a writer, covering a bunch of different sports. Um, And last year, you even wrote a book about the world of online sports betting. Mm -hmm. Um, I did. Great. So how does it feel having your whole career summed up in like two sentences? (laughs) Uh, I'll take it. (laughs) When I reached out to you, you know, I was really hoping you'd want to get involved with this series because... I knew you could give me some direct insight into the sports world. And when I first gave you my pitch for this show back in December, I thought it went pretty well. But um, I did recently find out that you thought this was a terrible idea for a podcast. <laughs> well, I I didn't think it was I didn't think it was a great idea. OK, <laughs> um, you know, mainly because Tiger has been in the spotlight for so long that I kind of thought to myself, what more is there to say about him? But as we were talking, you started asking questions that I just didn't have great answers for, even though I've been a part of the sports media machine for such a long time. Even the very simple question of what is the story of Tiger Woods? Is this a feel-good, inspirational story? Is it a cautionary tale? Is it even maybe a tragedy? Right. And to be clear, going into this, the story that I understood from the media about Tiger Woods was that he was widely considered to be the best golfer like on the planet. And then in 2009, he had this massive sex scandal. Consequently, he wasn't able to perform at the level of golf he'd been playing. And he kind of fell off the planet for like 10 years. And then all of a sudden in 2019, I get this push notification to my phone in the spring saying Tiger Woods won the Masters. 
And I was like, oh, my God, this guy, he's back. I completely forgot about Tiger Woods. Um, and I got to thinking, are those few moments really just the whole story about Tiger Woods? And also, how do I know all this stuff about Tiger Woods when I don't even pay attention to him? <laughs> <laughs> right. And the story of Tiger has been with us long before push notifications. You know, his life is just so full of contradictions. He's a multiracial athlete in a predominantly white sport with all of its racist history. And as a result, he's been propped up as this transformative figure. Yeah. And yet he's basically been absent from any real conversation about race in our country, even now in this really urgent moment. Yeah. And, you know, beyond that, Tiger is also this khaki-wearing Stanford alum who's been hailed as a role model for kids. But he was, like, at the center of this huge, huge sex scandal. But the biggest contradiction of all is that he's been in the public eye for so long, but I would say that he's the most private superstar athlete alive. You know, our conversation just kind of left me wondering, what if the story of Tiger Woods that the media has been telling, what if it's been completely wrong? I mean, who is Tiger Woods? This is All American from Stitcher, where every season we tell you about a sports icon to find out what their story can tell us about America itself. Season one, Tiger. There it is, a win for the ages. I have someone down in front of my house, they hit a pole. He was on Mount Everest, and now he's at the bottom of the ravine. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. Remember when everybody was talking shit on Tiger Woods, like, oh, blah, 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 this, blah, blah, that. And then he fucking came and won that green jacket. I did not see this coming. I did not see Tiger Woods winning the Masters. I didn't see it. All-American Tiger is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. I want to start out, Brandon, with tell tell them about your game. Tell them, give people context, your handicap, you know, your your strengths, your weaknesses, and what you're working on. Yeah, so, you know, I, I started the game back when I was probably about 15 or 16. Actually, Ev, with your older brother, he and I started playing back in St. Louis, Missouri, um, on these dirt tracks and just trying to hit the ball straight. Uh, wow. And- he used to, just a fun fact, my brother used to love the drink Brisk. You guys remember that iced tea drink, Brisk? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It was, uh, it was always hits, hits a spot in the summers of <laughs> St. Louis, hot, very hot. I think there's a reason it's no longer available today. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, so I, you know, continue to play the game very casually, never really took the game very seriously and was always kind of hovering in the sort of 15 to 20 handicap range up until about five or six years ago where something sparked this fire in me that to want to take the game a bit more seriously. And so it was the first time after probably 15 years of playing the game that I decided to, to actually get a lesson. Um, I had previously just 
try to get out there and figure it out. And, and as we all know, golf is, is a tough game and, and hard to figure out. And so I got a few lessons and in doing that really, really changed my game and the way that I thought about swinging, the way that I thought about playing. And uh, that was really the sort of the adventure I'd say over the past five, six years. And so today, uh, well, you know, today we're in the middle of a pandemic and I'm not playing as much as I'd like to be playing, but I started off the season at an eight and a half handicap and I'm probably hovering around 10 today. So that, that's sort of the, 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 the backstory there. Got it. Okay. So let's just dive right in. Finish this sentence for me, Brandon. If I could just do blank, I'd be a happy camper on the golf course. Wow. I, I feel like uh, you're the genie. I want three wishes. Uh, you know, I think for me, my biggest struggle is my tee shot. So if I could just put the ball in the middle of the fairway, and it doesn't have to be even that far, I think I could go a long way because my tendencies are really to struggle off the tee and then to recover fairly well. And are we talking big miss, right, left, both ways? Yeah, I've heard you talk a lot about on the show, have, you know, the two-way miss, and I certainly struggle with that off the tee as well. And and. You know, it, it seems like I'll try to correct or overcorrect, you know, in the middle of a round. And, you know, what, uh, uh, you know if I'm, I'm a left-handed golfer, and so what happens to me a lot of times is I try to pull inside, and then I end up duck-hooking it to the right. That's the worst. <clears throat> yeah, not fun. Um, not fun when you hit the ball about 75 yards and duck-hook it. And so then I end up, you know, really taking the ball, um, you know, the swing back off and then I end up blocking it left. And, and when I block it left, a lot of times I'll have a, a pretty big slice to the ball. And so I may find myself out of bounds. And, and that's, <laughs> that's not fun. Before I let Matt jump in, Brandon, I know, you've, I know we've had conversations. You talked to Matt as well. Um, you've listened to our, our other Mental Game episodes. I'm not sure if you listened to the latest with Brett McCabe, the sports psychologist. But, that was a good one. Um, when you I did, it was great. It was what great. are you? I know that you've been trying to do things different recently from a mental standpoint. Let's start with what you're working on now, and then maybe we can dive into some tendencies and concepts. Yeah, I'm gonna dive dive straight in because I I have been working a lot about on the mental game because you know I've been fortunate to play with with you, Matt, on the golf course and many you, times. You, yeah, many times. And you'll say things like, you've got a great swing. You could be such a great golfer. And, and those are really encouraging uh, to, to hear from someone who's played the game a long time. And, and you know, someone like myself who doesn't really come from a family of playing and really understanding what, what it takes to be a great player. Sure. But, but at the same time, when you hear, and, and, and I've been fortunate that other people have said, wow, you've got a really nice swing. You look like a great golfer. But the reality is, I'm not a great golfer. I'm a pretty good golfer, but you can play. I like the listeners need to understand that you can play, and you're a really good athlete. Good, great background. I, I in that appreciate sense. that, but I I don't consistently score where I could score relative to potentially my swing, and so the disconnect for me is this you know probably this mental game aspect where I know I have the strokes in me to to do it, 
but at the same time, putting it all together into a round and really have the confidence that you're not going to blow it. I heard you Ev, talk about how you start thinking about your score and wow, I'm, I'm even, even after four, or I'm two up after seven or something like that. And you're like, wow, I, I really haven't been in this position before. Can I really keep it going? And that, that lingering doubt kind of creeps in. So, so I say what I've really worked on is, is thinking about just in the moment, be in the shot, really, you know, Matt, we've talked about just commit to that shot and, and let go everything else. Cause the reality is I'm not going to be a professional golfer. Sadly, that'd be a fun, fun job, but I just enjoy playing and I want to get better, but you know, don't put so much pressure on yourself to be the best golfer. Cause you're not, you're not going to be the best. I'm at least not, not going to be the best golfer, but I could be a good golfer. I can be a, you know, I could have fun playing the game. And so letting go of some of those internal pressures is something that I'm, I've been working a lot on. So Brandon, help the listeners understand you've, you, I mean, you're gunning for always being breaking 80, right? So how many times have you broken 80? Because we want to give the listeners some context about, I mean, you're, you know, being a single digit handicapper, right? And what's going through your mind in your rounds this summer? And when you talk, and then on top of that, when you talk about committing to a, every shot, what does that look like for you? Like, what is that thought pattern? And what makes you like feel okay after you hit that shot, whether it went this way or that way? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the first question around game, uh, rounds in the 70s, I was actually thinking about that the other day that, you know, I go out there at this point trying to, to reach 70 every round. But the reality is even at sort of an eight and a half, nine handicap, I've probably only been in the seventies, you know, a half a dozen or so times, Okay. Um, which, you know, and, and I would say none of those rounds have been at a course like Pinehurst or, or really championship level course. They've been at sort of, you know, potentially a bit easier courses. And so, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I like to be in the sort of the low eighties fairly consistently, but yeah, cracking 70 is, uh, is a tough one for me. And it's definitely a mental barrier, too, to think that right. I've got to get there because that's where I should be. Because like, like us all, you've had, I mean, I've played with you. You've had great start, you know, good front nines, right? When you're five, six, seven over and you're like, I mean, that's, that's kind of your world in battle right now. And then, you know, you're yeah, talk us through say, that, right? I, I would say... <laughs> You know, I have a lot of pars and I put myself in a position to have birdies, but, you know, I'm averaging three doubles around right now mm. over the past six or seven rounds. That, that's tough. You know, I, I'd like to only have one double or maybe two doubles at most. And, uh, and that's just not happening. And, and it's mainly driven by the tee shot, as we spoke about. So I'm hearing should. I'm hearing pressure. I'm hearing start well hold on right um let's unpack that a little bit let's talk about the uh your attachment to score and and all our attachments to score yeah and let's actually let's review and think about those times you do shoot 70s in the 70s what happens after you shoot seven in the 70s what do you do how do you feel and what do you do after you shoot an 81? Let, let's just start there. Howdy, Ryan. Yeah. Recent 81 you had. Yeah, no, that's right. We had a good time <laughs> out there. Uh, you know, it's, Evan, it's a great point, and it's something I've heard you talk about. And, and, I, and the reality is there is no difference 
between a 79 and an 81. I'm going to leave the golf. I'm going to leave the golf course feeling, you know, maybe a little bit disappointed that I couldn't crack 70 on the 81, but I still, I'm going to be really pleased that I spent the day on the golf course and feeling pretty good and fired up to get back and try to do better next time. And that's going to be 81, 79, 88, right. For a bad one. And, and so even at 79, you're, you know, I'm going to be thinking about, I could have had 76, you know, I could have mm-hmm. had 77. And so I think that is uh, that's a great point. And it's something I am trying to focus a lot on is removing this pressure. And even the way you talk about it, Ev, I think is a good point is, um, you know, the, the shoulds, you know, probably need to go away because if you, you know, if you should have done it, you, you would have done it, but you, you didn't. Mm-hmm. And so maybe you shouldn't have done it. Maybe that's just how, how you presented yourself that day. And that's all you could bring. Yeah, there's a couple elements here, right? I, th- I think it's uh, the front nine versus the back nine of playing well in the front, holding on for the back is a similar feeling and pattern as uh, the range to the course, meaning you, a lot of people expect, Brett McCabe talked about this on our last episode, like how can you compare the range or around with your buddies to being under pressure? They're entirely different things. And so what a lot of people do is our expectations get us in trouble. Talk about it a lot, but let's talk specifically. So the expectation of um, playing a front nine with very little pressure, you're trying to get into a rhythm. Maybe you're not really focused on the outcomes. You're just trying to get warm. You're, You're trying to see where your game's at. You're enjoying just being out there. Suddenly you post a good score. Now you're back nine, there's a bunch of pressure and you're trying to hold on and replicate what you did, right? That's very similar to being on the range with no consequences and expecting to hit exactly how you did on the range when you've got hazards left and right and a member guest. They're just very different things. Um, the other part of this is he talked about people have, I forget his exact stages um, of, of where your game is at, but let's say it you're at a stage of not very good or really bad. People expect great after not really good um, or bad or even average people. Cause, cause what you're doing is you're romanticizing perfect. And you're thinking about that perfect shot you hit on the range or maybe three holes ago. And then of course the classic golfer thing to say is, well, why can't I do that every time? Right. When we know it's a really hard game. And so Matt, I'm going to let you jump in, but I, I th- what, to me, what it comes down to is what it comes down to is uh, is knowing there's going to be bad shots and managing those. Ever you talk about like playing around with your buddies or having a front nine and nothing's on the line, then all of a sudden you play good, maybe something's on the line. Brandon, I'm a, I, I think every round you got to play for something. Because if you're playing with your buddies, even if it's for $2, like, you, and, you know, that's something, right? But if you're, you know, and I've jumping after Brandon, like, because now you go to a member guest and you're pinehurst, right? And you're playing for a chunk of money and a tough course and a great atmosphere. You've got you've to be able to go back to moments where you had to do it, right? So you can remember what that felt like and what that thought process is like so you can translate it. But if you're not doing it, if you're just going and you're playing, you know, the first nine holes or nothing, you know, you're just laughing with your buddies 
and you're trying to get better and you're trying to shoot good scores, you're doing yourself a disservice. You know, so I think we always need to figure out ways to compete when we're playing with our buddies. And sometimes the group doesn't want to, but you got to find something. Yeah. So it's very interesting you say that, Matt, and I could imagine how other players might face that problem. For me, I'm, I'm a super competitive guy to a right. fault. And I, I've, I've seen it. <laughs> yeah. I, everything I do, I do with tenacity. And so I have the opposite problem. There's never a shot that I'm on the golf course thinking, ah, I'm just going to kind of take it easy and figure, you know, no, no, no. Every shot is, is to win. And so it's funny you said, like, when, you, when I'm going to be heading to Pinehurst in a couple of weeks here, I'm actually trying to put less pressure on myself because that is what gets me in trouble. It's not like I'm taking it too casually that gets me in trouble. The casually actually makes me more comfortable. It's like, you know, well, okay, what, what is this? Yeah, it's, a, it's you know, money I could win and, and pride and, and trophy and amazing experience. But at the end of the day, like, so what? So what? Like I, but at the same time, I'm, I do want to win. And so I just got to find that right balance so that I don't put too much pressure on myself because then I'm missing shots because I'm forcing. So let's talk about that balance. Yeah. This, let's this reflect is, yeah. on your rounds in the seventies. And cause this was important that Brett talked about too, is understanding people's tendencies, right? A lot of coaches tell people to be calm, but if you're like an amp up guy and you play best when you're amped up, then be amped up, right? So think about the rounds in the 70s. Were you calm? Were you like really focused and like fired up and like, I'm going to hit this shot and you verbalize it and then you hit it? Or like what, what type of energy did, and- did you, did you warm up well? Did you not warm up well? Like, yeah, you, what did you do in those rounds? Yeah, so I've, I actually have done a lot of thinking on this as well. So I think <laughs> there's, there's two types of of Brandon up on the course there's the trying to be a little bit more laid back while confident right laid back and confident and then there's the amped up competitive and honestly I've seen the amped up yeah the, the amped up competitive is actually a really fun place for me to be in like it it actually is a bit more fun for me it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate into better scores because I actually think that when, I'm, when I have shot in the 70s, I'm probably taking it a bit more casually. And so once again, this balance of not being so competitive that it gets me in a mode where I'm forcing, where I feel like I'm putting internal pressure on myself to be the All best. Right. Let me cut you yeah. off for a second. Those 70s rounds, you're talking about casual, but was, was, were you playing a match? Was there money on the line? Or were you just playing with buddies and it was just your thing? I think it was the latter. I can't remember them all, obviously, but I mean, there haven't been that many, sadly, but I still can't remember exactly where they came yeah. from. But, but I do think they were probably more casual games, you know, maybe a couple bucks on the line, but nothing, nothing super competitive. So here's the question for you guys and for our listeners. Is that really helpful? Should you be playing on for money on the line for, you know, trying to create. Now you've got to deal with your own pressure and make, you know, but like, because you're playing in a tournament in Pinehurst, like, like, so should we be always playing for something? Because 
you know, it's great. You shot in the seventies, but were you thinking about that, that, that hole for 50 bucks, you know, or, you know, or not letting down your teammate or were you just, you know, in your own world that whole day and still played great. Like what, where do we need to go to, to be better tournament players? I, uh, I grew up competing a lot, uh, in athletics. Um, racquetball. You know, yeah, I, I was, a, I was a racquetball player. And so a good one, I, by the way, for everybody listening, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I played in, in a number of different tournaments, you know, probably 30 tournaments at least growing up. And so that idea of competing was, is, is a really familiar spot for me to be in. And you know, early on in, in, in that sport, you know, it wasn't comfortable competing. But then over time, you get a little more experience and you, you're, you're sort of no longer the rookie on, on, in, the, in the tournament and, and you get that comfort level. And, and, I, and I found myself in, in racquetball, I actually was better every time I competed versus being worse because of the pressure of competing. And so it's, it's interesting we're talking about this because sadly, I haven't competed that much in golf other than the casual game with friends. I have been fortunate. This will be my third consecutive member guest of Piners. And the first time I went, we actually won our flight, uh, which was an How unbelievable experience. I un- can't, can't even describe it. <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, and so I would say that you know, in looking at my very few times that I have competed in golf, I actually have played better. And I think yeah. some of that experience competing actually has translated to just being a being comfortable in that competition. When, Ev, what do you, Ev, what do you think on this? Cause you, you play more golf than you play the most golf probably day in and day out of the three of us. And when you're with your buddies or you're with like, are you always trying to get a match going or how do you, how does, how does that play well for you? Or it's funny. We've been trying to get a match going and it always ends up being a very casual, like we laugh the entire time. No one's really that into if we play a, a big, you know, we'll play an executive early morning before we work. But if we're going to like yeah. a real course, obviously we all like are more into it, but it usually ends up being pretty lax and comfortable. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that I might not be focused. To me, it comes down to focus, Brandon. Maybe that's something to hit on too is it's not necessarily am I playing a match, but am I focused on what I'm trying to do? Like some rounds, it's really easy. I go down and I'm really into, I'm excited to like put myself to the test and I want to be really focused on the something I'm working on, my tempo, and it's easier to be focused. Other days, I'm not really into it mentally. And so that's an important piece to keep in mind too, is like what I found, and for in a second, I want to ask you what happened the first time you won your flight, because that's important to think about. But for me, I tend to perform better when I'm under the gun too. And that comes down to focus of, of what I focus on. And so some people, and this is why a Brooks Kepko or Jack Nicholas say those quotes about how they perform better in majors because their mindset thinks that they are better equipped for a major when half the field is going to think themselves out of it because of the added pressure. The added pressure just means the stakes and the outcome, right? And when I'm competing, I don't think about, or if I do, I take myself back. And I know that's okay. That there's, a, there's something on the line. That, that's, I know that. Take a step back and let me focus on what I'm trying to do here. What am I trying to do here? I'm trying to hit a golf shot. 
okay, well, what's it's 145 into the wind, a little uphill. I'm going to play at 160. Okay, that's a really smooth eight. What do I, what, what are my tendencies, right? I tend to stand up and I tend to get a little quick. So I'm going to focus on maintaining my posture, feeling like my hands are really light at the top for tempo, and I'm going to stay in the shot and I'm going to swing easy, right? I'm going to stay, that's, that's my committed. Now I know that because I pay attention to what my squirrely shots are and my tendencies. I know that I miss it left when I get quick. So like that's what I get laser focused on that. And so I want to talk about real quick first, if that resonates with you, Brandon, and second, what you remember focusing on the first time you played Pinehurst memory when you guys won your, your flight. Yeah. You, you've touched on a lot of things there that, that do resonate for me. And it made me think about the, the swing thoughts that I have entering into a shot and the focus needing to be on not the outcome and the result and trying to make the score, but the focus on what the shot is going to be, because sometimes like you, you can't actually control the outcome of your score because something happens, you know, mm -hmm. it takes a bad bounce, right? Yep. If I had a great shot and it hits a bad bounce, like, okay, like what can't, can you do? can't change that. And so what I think is important here is you can't be disappointed if you set your expectations at a certain level to say, this is what I'm trying to do. So for example, for you, and even for me too, is, is this idea of a, I can get quick. And so don't be quick with it. Make nice, easy, fluid pace. If I do that in the shot and the result is bad, okay, I, that wasn't what I was trying to do. What I was trying to do was just have a fluid shot and I did it. That's an accomplishment. That's not a disappointment. And I think, you know, having those small wins on the golf course really help you to build the confidence to say, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. I did it. Great. Move on. Next one. And, and that really, uh, I think, is well, that's, important. I'm, I'm going to sum it up. My, my coach used to say, know your move and go do your move. Right? Because, and that's typically you, you have a physical thought. You know what you work on every day. You know what your tendency is. And then commit to it. Right? But not anybody else's move or right. And whatever happens, happens. I mean, Brandon, you and I have played a lot of golf together. And I think when you hit that shot that's solid, that's, you know, maybe shorter or pin high, but in a good spot. Hey, maybe, maybe I underclubbed or, you know, but I knew what I wanted to do. Right. And yeah. then you like, then you find peace on the golf course. And after your roundabout, how many shots I actually committed to, then you know the ones that maybe you didn't. Right. But so I think, I think that's, very important right yeah one more thing on that that you that i i didn't realize because i didn't grow up around the game is everybody's had their perfect shot whatever their perfect is and that feeling is just amazing when you hit that perfect shot the reality is the perfect shot is perfect for a reason it doesn't happen that often yeah, right a couple times yeah. around yeah and for, so yeah, yeah. trying anybody, to really. think about yeah. always hitting that perfect shot is not going to get you very far and, you know, the, the, the saying where, you know, there's no pictures on a scorecard. I think it's important that people just be comfortable with 
they hit the shot. It doesn't have to be perfect. It could be different than perfect. It could still have a good result. We might even have a less than perfect result, but it's, it's a solid shot. It's a, it's a shot that you can work with. It's a shot you can move on to the next shot to try to, to yeah. do it over again. And just, and just from playing together, and this goes for me, this goes for all of us, but just from, we're talking about you a little bit today. When you have, you tell me what your plan is, like, good. Like you've already got the plan, you know, and it's not for me to second guess or like, this is what I'm going to do. And, and I do it. And then, then you find the rhythm, right? Always focusing on the plan. Brandon, do you find that when you verbalize that plan to Matt, that you execute at a higher rate? And a follow-up question to that is when you have a big miss or you make a big mistake, do you find yourself looking back and is it more times a physical mess up in the swing or did you find that, oh, wow, that was kind of a brain fart. I wasn't even thinking about what I was trying to do. The first question around communicating the plan, I do think it's helpful to verbalize your plan out loud because now it's a constant reminder in your head. That's what I want to commit to. I think yeah. at times, um, because of my competitive nature, if I do something that's not in line with the plan, I'm pretty hard on myself. And now that I've told the next guy, I'm, 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 you know, I'm looking for that validation that yeah. he's like, well, you, you said you were going to do this, but you didn't do it. And now I've disappointed him. And so I think yeah. I, I do have to be mindful of that. That. I don't let it creep into, well, I've just disappointed somebody and I don't want to disappoint them. Um, let's, but, let's stop there. Yeah. Let's talk about that because that's super important, You've especially for team play. Yeah. I struggled with this for years, Brandon, because you know my partner, Ryan. I mean, he's a scratch player. Um, I know. Best, best, one of the best players in Missouri growing up um, as an amateur. And, you know, I – the. I've said this before, if, you, if you've heard it before, I apologize, but I will say this. My approach last year was so different than my approach the previous two at my member guest because I stopped trying to not disappoint. I understood that, hey, I actually have more value to the team, arguably because I'm getting strokes. Yeah. Like, I was an eight, I think, last year, and Ryan's course is tough, so I think it bumps me up to a 10 course handicap. And if you think about someone that can break 80, getting 10 shots, like I could carry the team, right? Now, I wasn't saying that to myself to put pressure. Like I wasn't thinking that way. Looking back, I know that. Um, but my point is, is that I was not going into the week anymore thinking, God, I really don't want to mess up for Ryan. Cause I know Ryan's going to hit most of his shots. He's going to make mistakes too. Um, but I was really scared of like making a big number and not, and wasting a stroke. Right. And so I was really holding on. You could feel the energy of that. I was holding on, holding on, trying not to make a mistake, trying not to disappoint. And then I would feel really bad. And I'd say, sorry, my number one rule in team play, whether it's my Ryder cup trip with my buddies or a member guest with Ryan, we never say sorry to each other ever because when you Love say that. sorry to someone you inherently admit guilt and it's a game of misses and so the best team is understanding that hey we're gonna ham and egg this thing 
We're gonna yep. we're gonna pick each other up. We yeah. are going to make a shit ton of mistakes. But the point is, is that we're gonna try and make the right mistakes. That and if we make the wrong mistake, then we move on. It's a match play. Well, right. That's tournament. what I was just gonna say. In this format, every hole is in its own opportunity. Yeah. And its own mini match. And if you guys screw it up, you go. You lose one, right? Or you. you it doesn't yeah. define. From, and in golf, it shouldn't define you, right? From what I know about you, Brandon, and from what I've heard from Serm too, I, I think not wanting to disappoint is the number one thing to be mindful of and to try and and move away from um, for your in for your member guest in two weeks. I feel like that has the opportunity to free you up maybe the most. Yeah. And, and not even just disappointing your partner, but disappointing yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. I think, uh, as we talked about this, this pressure on yourself that you've got to be great because you're great. And, and, you know, honestly, you know, we won the first year round, uh, and the first member guest that is, and, and we played exceptionally well. I mean, me in particular, yeah. I had the best tournament I've ever had. I mean, I haven't played that many, but they, I was playing just great golf. And I came back year two and expectations were high. You know, we won year one. We've got to win it again. And the reality is there's 12 other teams in our flight. We're probably not going to win it again. And, uh, and we played terribly because we had that pressure on ourselves that we, you know, the, 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 and it's natural. Like, yeah. The yeah. thinking about that, that first year. <laughs> These right? things are going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I think this year coming in with just sort of uh, okay, well, you know, we won it the first year. We were near the bottom of the rankings in year two. Let's see what happens. Let's let's give it yeah. our best shot. And I'll say, you know, one thing you you just touched on is this idea of not saying you're sorry and having not wanting to let your partner down. And so knowing that everybody has that tendency, try to be a good partner for that other person because they're feeling the same way. And and I can tell you, my partner is is amazing at this. I mean, he mm -hmm. just. He picks me back up. He's, I mean, he's, he's 20 years, my senior, he's battle tested. He's been through it all. <laughs> he's seen it all. And he just, you know, okay, let's move on to the next one. Miss that one. That's, that's a really good point. I want to touch on that was another breakthrough for me was realizing the tendencies of my partner. So I first two years, you know, I'm, I love the mental game. I'm all about, you know, managing the controllables and using the mind to our advantage. Right. And so when my partner has a tendency to get really down after, you know, a missed yeah. putt and then he'll kind of walk to the tee box a little bit faster and, and be quiet. Right. So I used to take the burden and the responsibility to lift them up. Mm -hmm. But guess what I did in year three? I said, you know what? That's not my responsibility. His tendency is he needs to do that. Now, of course, if he carries it for three holes, you gotta say I'm going to say something. But I know that he just needs to beat himself up for a, yeah. for a second, and then he's fine. And right. so I stopped trying to be the rah-rah mental coach guy. Yeah, you got to let everybody's got to be, be themselves. themselves. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so that was really important because then I, that was affecting me without realizing it, right? Because I thought, oh, no, we're off our game. I have to, like, get us in the right mindset. And no, I, he needs to go through that. I'm, I smile to myself because I'm like, well, he's just, be, he needs to do it. That's him. He, that's, he's just being himself. And then boom, we didn't have that weight anymore. 
Yeah, uh, what you just said there really makes me think about something that I've been focusing on, which is there is no right way to do something. There's your way to do something. There's mm-hmm. my way to do something. And being accepting of other people's way of doing it and knowing that you're uniquely you and you do it your way and stop thinking that you need to do it their way. I think you know, all of us have, I know I'm my, you know, I certainly can say this about myself that, you know, having this acceptance of yourself as you are, you know, on the golf course and in life, right. Saying this is, yeah. this is me, this is how I do it. And it doesn't have to be how that person does it. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Natural reactions are a good thing in golf, right? And you get in these team formats and they're super fun and you got to help each other strategize, help each other prepare and help each other have fun out there. But remember, it's an individual game. It's the most individual game, right? And like you said, you and Ryan really broke through when you guys just kind of stayed in your lanes, you know, and then come together when you need to come together. Yeah. And focus on having fun, but not trying to yeah. control, you know, control each other. And it all comes in good faith, right? You're trying to help Ryan. <laughs> right. You know, but. But Brandon, I think the next thing to really dig into is the, the golf side of it. Right. Because a lot of people think some people may scoff at the mental game as just like, especially if they're not super into golf. It's like, well, there's some people that just have six beers and have have fun with their friends, which is totally fine. Um, But if you're really looking to get good, if you're really looking to perform, this stuff is really helpful. But the other side of it that's almost just as helpful that most people don't do, that the best players do, is the management of your misses and your strategy on the course, right? And so getting really clear about your tendencies and your plan right? Like Matt and I have talked about this on the show before. I've hit hybrids off par fives um, because there was no value in carrying this bunker. It brought a lot into play. I wasn't getting home in two. It was over water. It was a long shot. I rarely did it. It's going to be a three-shot hole anyways. And so I managed it and it just freed me up when when I got my plan, right? And so a lot of people feel helpless with a two-way miss. Let's start there. Right. That can cause a lot of anxiety, on, <laughs> yeah, especially going to a tournament because you don't feel like you know where it's going. So let's first talk about what's our mindset. How do we think about the two way miss and how do we let's think about Pinehurst a little bit. This will be fun. Let's think about when you did well. What's a good approach for you course wise to manage your misses? Yeah. Uh you know, I don't know that I have answers for the two-way miss. What I, what I will say is I, I, my miss more often, the, you know, I've been working on my tee shot quite a bit, is the block left and the slice left. And, and honestly, that's a bit more manageable than the other shot. It goes further. Um, you know, I could, if I really wanted or needed to, I could actually turn and sort of aim to then block left and, 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 you know, have a, a little fade, whereas the other one, you know, it's not going very far. So I think knowing what it is that makes me do the duck hook, which is really quick and, and the, the inside takeaway, I'm just not bringing that into play. You know, that, that one's just not going to be there. 
I, I'm going to be okay with the fade and the block and I can manage it. And, yep. and I think just so knowing you get to the range, you see, okay, can I, can I, can I at least know that I can block it, fade it a little bit in fairly consistently. And then hopefully, you know, with a slight variation, I can hit the ball straight and, and, and that one's, a, so I at least know. And, and so on a whole where I, you know, I, I can't be right. Well, that fade's going to help me there. If, if it's a hole I can't be left, well, now we got to think about it. Am I going to aim a little bit right to make sure I take that away? Do I maybe, like you said, take a lesser club? You know, I, I feel right. pretty good with my hybrid off the tee. Um, that one's not going to block left. And so maybe I just say, hey, look, I'm going to have a longer shot in, but that's better than being out of bounds. And so let's just do that. We talked about vocalizing. <laughs> it's like we're – and Brandon, Brandon, you've done some singing in your in your career, but I, I love vocalizing. Hey, um, missing it short's good. Like I like kind of part three. Like miss it short. Like because everybody knows where you can't be, right? But when I vocalize when I'm in a team or or I have try to get my partner to do that, that to me is a calmness. Hmm. I don't know how you guys feel about that because so many times I think in golf we just we black we're amped up or we're our mind we just black out and we don't think about where we need to miss the shot yeah and that almost is what i was saying earlier it's like a it's a small victory like you know missing short's good and and like oh i just missed it short i can anybody you know it's 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 almost easy to miss short um i mean not easy but you can do it and so you that's a victory i did it i missed short i you know i have a long shot in but that's okay and that that's a small little victory on the golf course. Yeah, I like to think of it, Brandon, as the I, I have ten chances to play this hole, right? I like to think about my think about my average score playing a hole. Uh, the, here's a perfect example. There's my girlfriend's dad's club. There's a par four that's two forty five with a ditch and rocks in front, right? Two forty ish. It's like 225 to clear the front. That's a perfect hybrid for me, about 230, 235. Hybrid's one of my best clubs that I hit. That, that's my fairway finder, and we'll talk about that in a second. I think it's, it might be yours too. Um, but that might, most people would be like, well, it's only 240. You smoke your hybrid. Why wouldn't you go for it? That's because out of 10 times, if you give me a six iron off the tee, then I'm going to hit the fairway nine out of 10 times, 10 out of 10, I'm going to be playable. Like I'm not going to do anything weird with my six iron, just an easy six, put it out there. I'm going to have a wedge in like 60, 70 yard wedge that I'm going to put on the green. If you take my average score out of 10, I'm probably going to be around a 3.8 playing that hole, right? I'm mostly going to make par, but I'm always pretty much always going to have a birdie look where if I hit the hybrid, I might be in that ditch. I might hit a tree. Now I'm bringing bogey and double into play on a hole that's not really necessary. I'm romanticizing the driving the green on something that's pretty low percentage, right? And so there's a fine balance of that too. Like you don't want to be, Brett McCabe, sports psychologist, talked about how some of his pros flight shots when they get under pressure. He talks about pros when they make birdies in a row. They start flighting shots and getting more defensive. That's common. Why do birdies scare us? Yeah. Right. So I think you're yeah. like, Brandon, jump in. It's a balance. That not being defensive, but not being stupid. 
right? Or trying to be a hero. Yeah, and you and I think one one thing you you touched on that I think about a lot is is know what you what the shot you actually feel comfortable with is. So for you, the sand wedge, sixty five yards, that's a real comfortable shot. You know you're going to be on the green a lot of times after that shot. For me, and I think a lot of amateur you want a full shot. Late, I want a full shot, right? Yep. So I'd actually prefer being a hundred and ten out because that's that's a pretty nice sand wedge. You know, one hundred fifteen out. Um, I know that I'm going to be on the green more often than not than actually at 65 yards. So, so that actually, th- then you start thinking about your tee shot, right? So, so driver, I'm already feeling not very confident. If I had a driver, let's just say, for example, on the hole, I'm going to be 65 out. I don't love 65 out. I'd rather be 110 or 120 out. So I'm going to actually swing the club that makes sense to get me to there, even though it's not as aggressive, it's not as, sexy to show others that I hit the ball along the way. And so just knowing your game, staying within your game and hitting your shot, playing your game, I think that's uh we all struggle with that. And it's funny, Brandon, that's real quick, saying. we're gonna get you out of here in like five, five ish minutes, because I know Matt has to go to his own practice round of his member guest right now. But uh the there is something really funny to having a plan where originally you have to break through the pleasing others, worrying about what others do, right? But when you embrace your plan, to Matt's point about we're going to, if, if we're going to miss, we're going to be short here. There is a calming confidence that comes from it. I felt it with the hybrid off the par five. Yep. I was like, you know what? This is a little unconventional, but this is the best plan for me. And I think that is going to be. Brandon and I have laughed about that. I mean, and I think I was, you know, ribbing you a little bit when you say, you say, Matt, why are you hitting driver here? Why are you hitting three wood? I'm like, don't worry about what I'm hitting. <laughs> <laughs> but these are things that happen, right? <laughs> I said, you do you, I'm going to do me. I'll give you some advice, but you. <laughs> it's an individual sport, but we're all looking to everyone else to figure out what we should do in validation. And, uh, you know, I think just staying within yourself, knowing your game. Well, and, and, and as we kind of conclude here, Brandon, here's what I want to ask you. I want you to leave the listeners with. As somebody who's a very good player who was shot in the 70s but is looking to consistently be, more consistently be in the high 70s, what's an area of your game, maybe it's one mental, one physical, that everybody at this level, this level needs, that you feel like you need to get better at to get over that. Yeah. So, you know, I'll give you two physical and then one mental. Uh, yep. So the physical, there's two things. The first is the, 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 off, the off the tee, as we said, I just need to know that when I get up on the tee, I'm going to hit the ball, you know, seven out of 10 times in the fairway. And the other three, you're not going to be out of bounds. They're in play. I'm, I'm giving myself a shot. Um, and so just consistency off the tee. Okay. The, the second one physical is, you know, having a little bit more consistency and reliability around the greens, the, the chipping, right? So, you know, I, I feel like, you know, Matt, when we play, if you're, if you're within 30 yards of, of the pin, every time you're giving yourself within, it seems like within 10 foot, 10 feet putts to, to, to make par or birdie, whatever it may be. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think a lot of times, um, 
you're okay with not trying to like hold it out every time, right? Like you're not right. going to hold it out. And so just giving right. yourself a shot to make the putt. Right. And I think just for myself, just getting more reliable around the green to give myself a shot to make the putt. So that's a little um, mentality and a little bit of more wraps, more creativity, right? Yeah. When you're chipping. Totally. And I think on the mental side, you know, a lot of what we talked about today is just playing your game, being, you know, just, just not putting all this internal pressure on myself to say, I'm, I've got to be great. I've, you know, Matt told me I need to be in, the, you know, I'm working on being in the upper seventies. So I'm going to do it. Today's going to be the day. No, just like, you know, just, just ease into it, play your game, you know, yeah. focus on the process and, and you're more than likely not going to have a good result. Yep. Love it. And I'd say the last thing, Brandon is like, I used to get really, uh, you know, anxious and obsessive about, well, I'm working on this in my swing yet every like six swings, I block a drive 50 yards. And it's that constant fear of, is this going to be the one that I block it? And then I'm not really committing because I'm trying to hang on, which actually creates the block more. So what I, what I think the main thing I'll leave folks with is it's okay to know that you're going to grind with what you got, right? So if you show up and you're hitting draws, instead of spending the whole round to hit a fade, which might be what you normally play, and then you fight it all around, maybe show up to the ring and say, I guess I'm hitting a draw today. Or if you don't have it and you're feeling really stiff, what can you do? Can you hit punch shots? If you're just not filling up with the driver and you're not confident, instead of worrying about the block, can you hit a little like low three wood? Can you hit a light three wood? Can you choke down on the driver and use your hands more than maybe you think you should, but in a way that just gets it in play? Like, I think that's, I think it's listening to your body, right? And then finding that brand of comfort and just, Hey, that's me today. Yeah. Because that is a really freeing thing because then you're not walking to the range before your big member guests and you've like, fuck, I don't have it. Right. Right. And then you're fighting it the whole round. It's, Hey, guess what? You have mental training. Most people out here don't. And so you're going to manage your miss and you're going to set yourself up for success. Even if you're hitting fucking thin, thin shots all day. You're going to manage it and you're going to put yourself for success. And I think that mixed with knowing your miss, mixed with picking your spots, being smart and not saying sorry to your, your, your teammate, not putting too much pressure on yourself to perform, knowing you're going to miss. I think you're going to do pretty well. That just got me fired up. I, wow. you know, I've, I've got to go back to work here, but I, you know, kind of thinking I should skip it and go play golf today. Skip it. Should you go to the range? <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe go, go to, to the, the course. Short, short game area. You yeah, know? short game. Area. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, this great. was great, Brandon. I'm I'm, yeah. I'm hoping that we do more of these things. We've talked to some of our followers and might do some voicemails and mailbags in addition to these roundtables. But great, I like these specific examples. We're glad we could have you on. Well, thanks so much. You know, I love listening and uh, it's it's such an honor to be on the show today. And and thanks again. All right. Keep us posted. We might do a follow-up. Oh, we're going to. 
We're going to. <laughs> <laughs> see All you, right. man. Good luck, sir, Matt. All right. See ya.